Welcome to Insurance Uncovered, the first property casualty insurance podcast, bringing you perspective and insight on the top issues facing industry professionals. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Kathy Imus. Today, we're uncovering disaster preparedness, why Tropical Storm Gordon may be a wake-up call for those who haven't planned ahead. Plus, the anatomy of a grifter, how a con artist's attempt to collect insurance money destroyed an Indianapolis neighborhood and showed the devastating consequences of fraud. And finally, a case for stronger building codes. A former FEMA director shares his vision to make every home in America safer. But first, a quick look at some insurance news. In Washington, the recent agreement between the United States and Mexico regarding the North American Free Trade Agreement provided encouragement that the president's strategy is paying off. That enthusiasm will be tested this week as the administration continues negotiations to bring Canada into the deal. Also, the investigation to determine whether imports of automobiles and automobile parts threaten to impair the national security of the United States is still underway. These tariffs are not part of the NAFTA negotiations and could be implemented at any time. NAMIC has communicated with the administration that increased prices on imported automobile replacement parts will have a negative impact on the auto insurance industry and its consumers. Now a tropical depression, Gordon is spreading heavy rain inland after making landfall last night along the Mississippi Gulf Coast. NAMIC's Regional Vice President Paul Martin tells us why this storm may be a wake-up call for those who weren't prepared. And in terms of insurance, um, unfortunately for a lot of folks, it's times like this that they decide that they should maybe have flood insurance or hurricane insurance. For flood insurance, there's a 30-day waiting period from the time you get the policy till it takes effect. So if you're hoping to buy flood insurance for Tropical Storm Gordon, you're probably going to be out of luck because for, in most situations, the policy will not cover any claims for the first 30 days. There can be some waiting periods on hurricane, high wind storm insurance as well. And what we're telling people is now is Tropical Storm Gordon does not appear to be an intense storm. It is something we need to be concerned about. But let this be your wake-up call, your motivation to go ahead and get the necessary insurance that you need because as we've seen on the maps and we've seen watching the Weather Channel, September is going to be a very busy tropical storm season uh, for the next several days. Martin says with September being National Preparedness Month, it's not only a good opportunity to get your insurance in shape, but your disaster plan in shape as well. FEMA hosts this event each fall as a reminder that we must all prepare ourselves and our families for what lies ahead. FEMA's message this year, disasters happen, prepare now, learn how. You can learn how by visiting ready.gov for more information. Former FEMA Administrator David Paulison knows the importance of learning from past disasters. He testified on behalf of the NAMIC-led Build Strong Coalition earlier this year to urge Congress to send the Disaster Recovery and Reform Act to the president's desk. On today's Unscripted, our Chuck Chamnis talks with Chief Paulison about his storied career and the important lessons in resiliency he's learned along the way. Chief, you've had an amazing career as a firefighter, a government you know, public servant in the Bush administration, leading the U.S. Fire Administration, and of course as head of FEMA, which is where uh, we got to know your work the best. But also looking at all the experience going back to Hurricane Andrew when you were in Florida, 
Um, I just think you have an extraordinary perspective about disaster preparation and response, which is obviously of great importance to our industry uh, and to our member companies here at NAMIC. So I thought I'd just start with uh, a welcome. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. And, and, and a question, which is, why don't you give me a little bit on your background, um, how you got here, and uh, what set you on this path of being a firefighter to uh, the success you've had uh, today? That's kind of, I guess, kind of, I don't say by accident, but it surely wasn't by plan. Uh, I had uh, graduated with a degree in English literature. I was going to be a teacher. And I, I wanted to do that. And a friend of mine was on a small fire department in the state of North Miami Beach and said, we, they had an opening there. Would you like to come try out? So I said, yeah, well, let's go do that. So I applied and got hired and that set me on the path to where we are all today. I fell in love with the fire service, uh, became a paramedic right away. And, uh, and I was already in construction. So it was just a natural fit. Wow. And uh, that's really how I got started. Well, Going back to your firefighter days, I know that, um, you know, even prior to the, you know, official FEMA disaster recovery experience, you had a lot of experience around disasters, uh, including Hurricane Andrew and also the value jet crash. And as I saw that and thought about it, um, we had a close family friend who died in that uh, crash. She was a, a student at Indiana University on her way back from spring break, and um, I just saw her mother few months ago, a few weeks ago, really. But, uh, and I was at a memorial service 30 years ago. But as I thought about that and that story, isn't that a common theme in these disasters that, um, you know, sometimes they're a personal experience for those people who are affected? Um, so how, how did those um, initial experiences with Andrew and, and ValueJet, um, you know, impact your future in terms of disaster uh, uh, management and mitigation? Well, a couple of these, you brought two that were obviously very emotional for uh, for me personally. Um, you know, in Hurricane Andrew, uh, you saw the south end of Day County that, uh, that I grew up in, uh, just totally devastated. Uh, 250 of my firefighters lost their homes. Uh, their spouses were begging me to let them go home, you know, to what was left of their house, and of course they had to work. It was a, it was a tough time for all of us not having a plan in place to deal with, with the firefighters' families if something happened to them. So those are, that set uh, in motion us doing planning for that to deal with the families in the future after that. And ValueJet also taught us about having empathy for people who lost loved ones, 110 souls on that plane, um, you know, with obviously no survivors at all. Uh, and nobody wanted to meet with the families. The uh, NTSB did not want to do that until they did an investigation. Uh, the uh, ValueJet people, for, for whatever reason, didn't want to do that also. So I met with the families um, twice a day, every morning, told them what we we're going to be doing. I met with them every afternoon and told them what we did. It became very close to that group. Uh, and... Uh, and I, it really taught me a lesson, particularly after I got into FEMA, uh, dealing with people who have lost everything. Uh, just stopping listening, uh, understanding that they're really struggling, going through a lot, and having empathy for them and doing the best you can do to make sure they're, uh, they're, they're, they're part of it is taken care of. So, yeah, those were interesting times uh, for both of those significant events. 
Well, and you've brought up FEMA and, and how that experience led to your uh, success at FEMA. But when you took it over, uh, FEMA was at a, uh, um, a difficult time, and uh, there was a lot of criticism. And so how did you get through that period, and, and what did you see as uh, keys to your success as uh, you know, FEMA director? Yeah, that was a very, I guess, the, the lowest point that uh, FEMA has ever been in. Uh, way understaffed. They had let the, for whatever reason, they let the uh, uh, the authorized strength to dwindle down to to much less than what it should have been. Uh, people, the morale was really not, not good at all. Really bad. Uh, very low morale. Uh, but we had a, a workforce that was really dedicated to making sure to, that we could return this organization around. So that's the one thing I focused on is, is you know, one, we have to build up the, the, uh, the strength of FEMA, make sure we have the right people in place, bringing in people who had 20 and 30 years experience dealing with disasters and putting them in key places around there. And that, that did a couple things for me. Uh, by bringing the, there's no secrets after it. So the employees saw me bringing in people who were not, you know, I'll use the term political hacks, but people who had experience dealing with disasters. And uh, so that, got people around me that I could trust who knew, who knew what they were doing. But at the same time, they got the employees on my side. They saw me bringing in the right people, the people who are going to help them rebuild this organization. And they were like to kind of rally around the troops. And it, uh, it, that's how we got started by rebuilding that organization. We certainly did a good job of it and have, uh, you know, a tenure that has been uh, recognized as, um, you know, one of the very best. So let's talk about more recent years. You know, you've worked alongside first responders, uh, insurers, uh, and others to advocate for stronger building codes. And um, one of the ways we've done that is through the Build Strong Coalition. So tell me, uh, you know, what your role has been with that and um, how it's keeping you busy today. Well, let me let me back up a little bit to uh, to Andrew. Uh, we saw our housing stock. Uh, did not do well. Um, some brand new homes by reputable builders literally came apart uh, in the storm, and they should not have done that. Uh, they should have been able to withstand, because some of these areas were in areas where the, the wind was not as high as we saw in deep south, down south end of the county, where the, really the, um, where the I made landfall. So we took a step back and said, okay, why did these buildings fail? And we redid our building codes and decided to make, uh, you know, look at what what failed, why did it fail, and what can we do to make sure that when we redesign these buildings, they don't fail again. And we did that. It was not easy. Uh, it was tough. We had a lot of opposition to changing the building codes, and we pushed hard and had to fight uh, really tooth and nail to make that happen. And, um, and we did that. And we built with some of the strongest building codes in the country uh, for South Florida. Uh, and it's uh, it's worked extremely well. So that's one of the reasons that uh, I am so high on Build Strong, because that's what we're doing nationally. Everybody, every resident in this country should have a, a safe place to stay in their home, a safe place to be at their work, no matter where they are. A building code should be to the point where once you're in that building, you should be safe regardless of what's going on around you. And we simply don't have that yet. Uh, and that's why uh, I feel it's very strongly about Bill Strong and what they're doing. It's a great moral compass uh, and uh, heading in the right direction uh, to change our building codes around this country. 
Well, we know building codes work. Um, actually, I was at HUD uh, back when uh, Andrew happened. And uh, so well, I didn't go down to the site. Uh, I was working for uh, then-Secretary Kemp, who was uh, uh, was there. And we saw the devastation firsthand. And you're right, the housing stock did just not hold up. Uh, and now we see with even disasters occurring last year with high winds, um, you know, the flyovers, the post-disaster uh, assessments, you can just spot those homes that are built to the uh, stronger building codes, whether they're just Florida's building code or, um, you know, the homes that perform best, uh, often built to the fortified for safer living standard of the uh, Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety. So we know building codes matter, and we now get real-life experience and uh, proof of it uh, after major disasters. You know, that's absolutely right. If we just looked at this last year, the uh, the hurricane that went through the, the Florida Keys, the homes that were built to the new building codes did just fine. They're still there. They did well. They survived. And uh, the ones that were not uh, built to the new codes uh, were totally destroyed. Uh, we saw the same thing in Galveston. We had hurricanes going through there several years ago. Uh, the ones that were built to the new building codes did extremely well. So we do know they work. And, you know, we keep building our homes back in the same place. We build them back the same way across this country. And, and people end up losing their homes over and over again. And it just has to stop. And that's why uh, what Build Strong is doing is really so important uh, to, the, to the future of this country and, and to our resiliency. Yeah, the, um, the origins of Build Strong, and I've, I've talked about this many times uh, with various audiences, but really goes back to after that heavy hurricane season or two years of hurricanes uh, included around 2005 where our member companies just said to us, we need to do something different here. And uh, at the time then we started with what was called the Building Code Coalition. Uh, by around 2011, after the IBHS built their research facility that gave us uh, you know, a great opportunity to show how much uh, codes work, uh, we then kind of rolled it into what became known as the Build Strong Coalition and uh, an expanded uh, kind of broader effort to work on these same issues. And as we're talking about, uh, we've now seen some results from uh, not only their use, but, you know, in public policy, which is what Build Strong is about. So, so let's talk about that because, um, you know, this year we had uh, a major win with the Disaster Reform and Recovery Act. Uh, but we've still got a long way to go, and it's really only uh, part of the overall agenda for Build Strong. What would you like to see in the next five years, uh, ten years even, that would really make a difference and help make our nation more resilient? What I would like to see is for every state in this country to have a strong, enforceable statewide building code. Uh, and I know that's a pipe dream, <laughs> but that's where we really need to be. Um, you, you know, like you said earlier, we know they work. It, and, uh, we, you know, we hear uh, people telling us that, oh, you're going to put, you're going to price people out, out, of, out of the market because you build these homes so well that uh, they can't afford to buy them. Well, we found out that wasn't true. Uh, you know, here in South Florida, we learned it very clearly. We changed our building codes. It, the cost was actually minimal compared to the entire cost of the house. And, uh, and they, they do very well in these storms now. So somehow we've got to convince each of our states that this is the right thing to do for their residents that live there. 
Uh, and, uh, and this is where I, I see Bill Strong uh, continuing on. Yes, we have a victory. We had a great victory, but we're just scratching the surface. And there's a lot more for us to do to make sure that everyone in the country uh, can have a home that's, that's safe and sound. And, uh, and like we said earlier, we stand the disasters that happen in their areas. Well, Chief Paulson, uh, speaking about Kemp and, uh, and looking at your uh, incredibly successful career uh, as a public servant, I'm reminded of the story uh, that uh, Secretary Kemp used to tell about his uh, young grandkid who introduced his grandfather, Jack, and said, my grandpa is a very important public serpent. And so uh, you are a very important public servant and uh, have been a great asset to our efforts to, uh, you know, put in place stronger disaster policies in the U.S. and uh, prepare for the next disaster. And I'd just like to say thank you for your work with us, and thanks for the time today on our podcast. So thank you, and thank you for what Bill Strong is doing. We have somebody, an organization that's willing to stand up and, and push for the right thing. So thank you for your service. On the next Unscripted, Chuck talks with Stu Henderson, president and CEO at Western National Mutual. They chat about communication in the corporate world and how important it is, especially in the face of change. Be sure to check your mailboxes this week for the latest issue of In Magazine. You won't want to miss the story, Anatomy of a Grifter. It covers the devastating consequences of greed and insurance fraud. We spoke with Fox 59 investigative reporter Russ McQuaid, who was on scene to cover the 2012 Richmond Hill neighborhood home explosion in Indianapolis. Probably thinking to himself, I'm going to go out with the one big score if I'm not known for anything else, I'm going to be known as this genius who got this one big score. And he kept telling people, I'm going to give $300,000. And it's like, what are you kidding me? Don't you know how a first and second mortgage works? Don't you understand the banks get the money first? Don't you understand you got to be able to prove that you have this stuff or State Farm will pay off? I realized it was this horrible tragedy. It was larger than life. This was not some shoot 'em up between dope dealers on a dark street that nobody knows about. This literally rocked half the town. This got national TV coverage. Early on, it appeared it was like a harebrained scheme, and you're just going, what were these morons thinking? The fall issue of In Magazine also marks the first time NAMIC is publishing a special supplement for those attending NAMIC's annual convention in San Antonio. Attendees will receive an exclusive 16-page issue of bonus articles and convention-related content. Hard to believe that we're now just three weeks away from the 123rd convention. For those making the trek to San Antonio, there are a number of keynote speakers planned. Steve Batista, Senior Vice President of Brand at Under Armour, will deliver his presentation on Wednesday of the event. He discusses how organizations can build their brand and tell their story. The key to being a successful uh, disruptor in a space is being true and authentic to who you are and to, your, and to who your brand is. Like I said, we, we, we broke through, we did it our way, which was not what anyone else was doing at the time. And everything about us was counter to what was you know, really accepted. For more information about the convention keynote speakers, our educational sessions, and other activities, you can check out the full agenda at NAMIC.org. And that's a wrap for us today. Don't forget to tune in to our next episode of Insurance Uncovered on September 19th. I'm Kathy Imus. Thanks for listening.